As we start today, I just want to remind you that you are embodied people here in this, occupying this space together. And I want you to, uh, we're going to prepare our hearts uh, to hear God's word this morning. So just close your eyes. Take a deep breath or two. Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as you and I are one. I and them, you and me. Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, we are made for union with you. We pray that you, this morning, through your word, by your spirit, that you would heal and restore our union with you. Heal and restore our union, God. We were made for you. Help us to sit in that today as you uh, teach us by your scripture. We are made for you. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hear God's word this morning from Philippians um, chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. You're made for union with God. You are in Christ, Paul says. Who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you, all of you, with all of my affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Um, we start this morning with maybe something obvious. The book of Philippians is an epistle. It's a letter, a letter to the church at Philippi. We talked last week about how Paul helped start this church alongside Silas and Timothy and Luke and, of course, Lydia. Now, Paul would return back to this church seven years um, after the founding and then three more times in 57, 63, and 64. He loved them. And that, those words are flowing out of this, this text, his love for this church. Um, when we were um, moving, um, when we first started the process of moving, we had this shed and we were taking a bunch of boxes out of this shed. And um, as we, we took these things out, we had to pack them in new boxes. And um, we ran across boxes of keepsakes, things that we haven't looked at in a long time. Um, one box literally falling out of another box. And it was a small shoe box all decorated with like roses and maroon polka dots and small beads. And it was, uh, it was Danette's keepsake box. And in that box, there was all these letters. Letters that I wrote her. Thank goodness. 
Now, I also have a box that was part, like, right next to this box. It's this, like, old Adidas shoe smelly box, but also had letters that she had written uh, to me. Um, they were love letters. Like, their main aim was expressing our love and devotion for each other. Um, we spent our first summer apart as a couple, and, uh, um, well, dating as a couple. And one of the things we did that summer is we wrote uh, letters uh, it was like 1994, and um, so we wrote letters to each other all summer back and forth, and then we would call each other on a thing called long distance, and um, we spent all of our money, well, at least I spent all of my money that I made that summer on long distance phone calls, which her, her dad gave me a lecture about when I got back, by the way. Um, like, you, you wasted that money, and I was like, oh, no, sir, I did not waste that money. I wrote her poems, love poems, rhyming poems, free verse poems, five cents poems, alliteration poems. I had this uh, sheet that I made for her with Danette, with each of, like, Danette, daring, awesome, neat, really neat. Um, and I, I, I made this video for her, uh, and in the video, like, I, I cooked a meal for her, and so I had this, like, really, like, big old-school camera, and I set it up on a tripod, and I cooked, and then I brought it over to the table, and I sat down, and, like, it's so awkward and weird, but we watched it, and it was, anyway, yeah, <laughs> and I ate this meal in front of her, and, like, we were on a date, um, on a video, VHS tape, yeah, I, I missed her, like, so much. My love for her like, just overflowed in a need to express it. C.S. Lewis says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Like yesterday, wake, be Duke, let's go Deeks. And um, the, the, the overflow of like delight was expressed in running on the court and hurting Duke basketball players. It was awesome. <laughs> And then if you, if you go onto the quad, they rolled the quad. Like, like there's something in us, like embedded in us as human beings, that Lewis is saying that, man, we have to complete our enjoyment by expressing our delight. It's beautiful. It's why lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. Now, this is my first question for you this morning, Redeemer. How do you express your love? You can start easy, like I did with the kids. Like, how do you express it for your kids, for your spouse, for your parents, for your friends? Baseline, as we get into Philippians, Philippians is a letter of love. It may be other things, because it is other things, but it is a letter where Paul is expressing his deep love and affection and delight for this church. We see it in the text this morning. There's thanksgiving. There's remembrance. Feel the flow of that. I thank God for you whenever I think of you. Whenever I think of you. Whenever I think of you, I start to pray for you. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I, I hold you in my heart. I, I yearn to be with you. Now, sometimes with Paul, we, we miss the forest for the trees. We, we think of him as just this propositional like teacher. He is a lover. He loves Jesus 
He loves Jesus' church. In 2.12, after the Christ hymn, which we recited today, where he says, every knee will bow and tongue will confess, he calls the Philippians his beloved. A term of endearment and love. In 4.1, he says, I love you and I, I long for you. You are my crown and my joy. His affection bubbles over as he shares his concerns about their safety. He, he desires to cheer them up and, and shares more personal things with this church than any other church. He uses familial language seven times more than any other letter in Philippians to refer to them. Philippians is a love letter. It's, he's completing his delight. It's more than this, but don't miss the context. I think that that's really easy for us to do with the Bible, by the way. Like we get into the Bible, we start studying it, plumbing it. It quickly becomes a textbook, a rule book, an answer book. But the Bible is a story, an epic love story, an expression of God's great love and the depths to which this God will go to woo, to win, to save, to redeem, to rescue us, his beloved. And even this letter, with all its propositions and quotes and longings, are echoing that same love. So, quickly this morning, this is a letter of love. And point one is, Paul is expressing that love to this church. He's expressing his gratitude to them for this gift. That gift is the the support that they've given to Paul in his missionary journeys. It's important to note that Paul is writing this letter from prison. And in jail, the Philippian church sent Paul gifts. They sent a man named Epaphroditus to bring the bearer of those gifts. And Epaphroditus comes and serves Paul, and he gets very, very ill near death. And Paul is expressing back to the church the incredible love and affection that they've shown to them by saying thank you for your, your gift. And this is an important like, thing to know about Paul. Like, if we're going to understand him rightly, we're going to read him rightly. This idea, uh, Paul uses gift language. His view is God's gift of grace towards him. It's always incongruent. It's an unconditioned gift that has been given to him. Remember Paul's story. Paul's story is very much embedded in this, that he was a persecutor of God's church. He killed brothers and sisters, ordered their deaths, and then on the Damascus Road, he was awakened by, uh, to Jesus. Jesus visits him, and his life is entirely changed. And so Paul looks at his life, and he goes, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of this. This is an incongruent gift. I could never pay it back to you. I could never repay what you've done for me, God, in Jesus. That's his story. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, there was a way of gift-giving. Listen to this quote. Presents are the ultimate way to show someone you care It's an awesome way to show someone you love them. Hey man, I love you this many dollars. That's Michael Scott, by the way. (laughs) Gift giving in the Roman world was like Yankee Swap. If you've seen that episode of The Office. Like, it was part of the social cultural matrix. And there was a way that you gave gifts or that you thought about giving gifts. I give you a gift, Ryan, because you're the hottest in the office. 
And I want to be friends with you. You're, you're worthy of my love. So I love you to the tune of a video iPod. But Phyllis, you're not. You see, for Michael, like, he believed that Ryan could repay him with cultural cachet or friendship or at the very least, like he could receive some sort of humor from the, from the group because giving this gift will reveal all that I am, that I'm super generous. Or at the very least, I'm seen as being super generous. You see, gift giving in the Roman world was based on the worth of the receiver. If you couldn't repay a gift with honor or an equal gift, then you weren't worthy of the gift. Seneca, the Stoic philosopher of Paul's day, says, gifts go around in circles. It's like a continuous ball game where one person throws a ball and another in a such a way that it can easily be caught and thrown back. Gifts hold society together if they are given well, wisely, to one who is worthy of them. In our world, if your roommate or sibling doesn't have a way to pay back your generosity, will you still be generous? Or if there's no one that would be impressed by your gift of a video iPod, can you give it? You have to understand this for Paul, because in every one of his letters, he is dealing with this idea of someone having to be worthy of being given, given a gift. And Paul, knowing that he's not worthy, and yet God has gifted him with the most precious thing, his life. Because the Philippians share in that same gift that he shares in, there's a response, not a debtor's ethic where I'm going to have to pay back. And now this is the way, right? This is the way in the South. You, you invited me to dinner, so I have to invite you to dinner. That's the debtor's ethic. This is not the way of gift giving in the church. And Paul's expressing this. It's not Yankee swap. Instead, it's born out of love. The gift can never be repaid, but I've been shown such love that out of that love I give. And so he calls them partners. Look at verse 5. Your partnership. Verse 7. You are all partakers with me in this gift of grace. They are the first church to support Paul. They supported him here and there in Thessalonica. They supported him in jail and beyond. Um, the money given to Paul leads to all sorts of other ministries in Europe and the world. One group in a small place. And their gift outlasts their life. You give and I go and preach, Paul says. And don't miss this. The shared life together meant shared sufferings. Paul Paul is grateful for this love. So, Redeemer, how do you give? Do you give out of a debtor's ethic? Do you give to impress? Do you give to earn back? Or do you give out of love? Second, Paul's letter is an encouraging letter. Right? He starts in verse 6, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He has this incredible belief that God is going to do His work in the church that He loves. Jesus has been preached. They've responded. They now belong to God. God began it all and He will complete it. And then He prays. So my prayer, 
Because I know God is going to finish the work that he started in you, I pray for you that your love may abound. Now see this, Paul's encouraging love. That their, their world, their church, their communities, their houses, their families would abound in love. And he says, with all knowledge and all wisdom. I want to stop here for a second and I want to read this quote to you. This is from my friend Stephen Garber. He says, always and everywhere, this is our challenge as human beings. Can we know the world and love it at the same time? Can you know the glories of Redeemer Church, of Winston-Salem, and its shames, and still choose to love what you now know? Y'all have shown me lots of love here. But when you get to know me, will you still love me? How about me? Will I still love you? See, that's the challenge of love. Knowledge, we get to know a place, a people, a family, a dynamic, a system. And that challenges us. That knowledge challenges us. Can we still press in and love. And that love, Paul says, is, is based on knowledge. You, you, the more you know, the more you love. And it's wise. It applies this love in a non-anxious way. Not, not a needing way. Not, a, not a, way, a need to be reciprocated in that love, but a, a non-anxious, loving way. This is why Paul prays in and he, he prays in the encouraging confidence that God is going to do this in them till the day of Christ Jesus. Do, do you, Redeemer, pray for yourself and others with this confidence? Do you know and still love? Because it's much easier to be cynical. Right? Right? This is Harry from When Harry Met Sally. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. That, my friend, is a dark side. Like, like the cynic can't press in through their knowledge and still love. And the stoic withdraws. Overwhelmed by the idea of love, they withdraw when they, when they learn and they know. Our knowing often makes us cynics, cynics and stoics. So how can we press in and love? There's an Australian um, singer named Nick Cave. Nick lost two sons. Um, in 2015, his son Arthur died falling off a cliff. He had been taking LSD. In 2022, his 31-year-old son Jethro died taking his own life. Now, in response to his first son's death in 2018, Nick started this thing called the Red, Head, Red Hand Files. Uh, in it, people like write in to him and ask him questions, and he answers these questions. And it's been going on since then. I want to read you one of the letters. It deals with this idea of knowing and still loving, because the reality of love is if you love, your heart will get broken. Lewis says your heart will be wrung out. 
Here's the title. How do I, how do I not have my heart broken? From Jenny in Paris, France. Dear Jenny, the surest way to avoid a broken heart is to love nothing and no one. Not your partner, your child, your mother, your father, your brother, your sisters, your friends. Not your neighbor, not your dog, not your cat, not your football team, not your garden, not your granny, not your job. In short, love not the world and love nothing in it. Beware of the things that draw you to love. Music, art, literature, cinema, philosophy, nature, faith, religion. Keep your heart narrow, hard, cynical, invulnerable, impenetrable, and shun small acts of kindness. Be not merciful, forgiving, generous, or charitable. These acts expand the heart and make you susceptible to love. Because as Neil Young so plainly and painfully sings, only love can break your heart. In short, resist love because real love, big love, true love, fierce love is a perilous thing and travels surely towards its devastation. A broken heart, that grief of love, is always love's true destination. If you've loved, you know a broken heart. Now, I want you to think about this in the context of Paul. He's saying... I have experienced this gift of love from you. And now he's in prison, in chains, suffering, because he's been gifted by love through Jesus. And that love has now been shared to others. And he is in prison. And his heart has been wrung out. And this church has responded in tow to him with reciprocating love. Going to him, sending Epaphroditus to him to care for him in jail, giving to him. This church did not have a lot, by the way. A broken heart, that grief of love, is always love's true destination. He goes on. However, to resist love and inoculate yourself against heart heartbreak, hear this, is to reject, reject life itself. For to love is your primary human function. It is your duty to love in whatever way you can to move boldly into that love, deeply, dangerously, recklessly. How do you love, Redeemer? Do you love prodigally, recklessly? To love the world is a participatory and reciprocal action. For what you give to the world, the world returns to you manyfold, and you will live days of love that will make your head spin, that you will treasure for all time. You will discover that love, radical love, is a kind of supercharged aliveness. And all that is of true value in the world is animated by it. Now for us, people in this room who believe in Jesus, we know this to be true. The God of the universe has invaded time and space and has supercharged this world with a particular love. Animating us by that love. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. That they would abound in it. That they would be animated by it. That the love of Jesus would animate them in the world. That they would press into love no matter what that love discovers. 
They would love with wisdom, pinpoint accuracy of how to love a right word spoken in a right circumstance in the right way at the right time. That kind of love. Yes, heart that awakes, love's end, Dave says. But you find in time that this too is a gift. This little death from which you are reborn time and time again. I have only one piece of advice for you both is that, and it's the very best that I can give. Love, for the world is waiting. Friends, this is the love of God in Christ. And Paul says, because we have been given this gift, we, we don't have to be cynical. We don't have to be a stoic. We can press in in love. We can know and still love. Paul's love is not cynical, but encouraging. It's an abounding love, a love that pushes through, a love that's covenantal. And this gift of love will get you to the end, Paul says. Paul's book of Philippians is about finishing. Like he's, he's wrestling with his life, his mission, and finishing that life. And here he encourages the Philippians that they're going to finish. The gift of love will, will help you finish. It will help you approve what is excellent. It will make you pure and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. It will fill you with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The gift of love through Jesus does all of this. And when you or I are united to Him by faith, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know you will finish? Because Jesus finished. Because Jesus endured the broken heart of love. The rending of relationship between Him and the Father. The rejection of all the people in His life pretty much that loved Him. And yet, He still loved. There's this great, beautiful thing here because when you're united to Christ, you're, you're not united to one another. And Paul is wanting to press on that in the book of Philippians. The union that they have in Jesus results in a union that they have with one another. And there's a special bond and relationship that kind of happens between Paul and his people. It's the beauty of this gift of, of pastors and a congregation. It's a gift of love. Y'all, I, I preached on this text um, the day I announced I was leaving New Mexico. Different, preached it differently. I called it 20 things that I love about you. And I could barely get through it. I told them when I left that when I go to Redeemer and to Winston, I'm go you're going with me. I'm taking your faces and your stories, the stories that, and faces that have formed me and shaped me and taught me the gospel and taught me the love of God that have helped me to, to know and still love, to be abounding in love. You've helped me do that, so I'm, I've been freed to go here and be with you and learn how to love from you. Press in and help you to know and still love. It's a beautiful thing. I have this chain I wear. It's not just bling. 
a rooster. A rooster is really dear and special to me. It was our kind of thing at City Press. And I told them, I told my worship guy who gave it to me that I'll wear this every time I preach here to hold you in my heart because I love you. There's something beautiful that is birthed in our union with Christ together as we learn to, to know and still love, to embrace the, the difficulty of, of loving one another. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. My relationship with you, Giorgio's relationship with you, Eric's relationship with you, we are here so that we will finish. God has covenantly linked us to help us to finish. And you are here and we are here to serve you so that you will finish. And it's all bound up in this beautiful gift of love given to us in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we pray that you'd help us to uh, be a people who bound in love. Brokenhearted, vulnerable, tender love. There's no mamby-pamby stuff in love. Love is difficult and hard and beautiful and wonderful. So help us by, uh, through the, the gift of your son, to be a people who love no matter what, uh, what that love discovers. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.